I have a lot to say and only a few minutes to say it in, so you're going to have to engage with me. Is that fair? So I'm going to talk quickly, but this is a contact sport. You have to engage. I want to preach a message today called The Secrets of the Psalmist. It's a principle that I feel like the Lord began to show me, um, and it's, it's something that we need to learn. It's a spiritual discipline, and I'm hoping that I can just cement that for you in a few minutes. Thoreau said, a single uh, footstep will not make a path on the earth. So a single thought will not make a pathway in your mind. To make a deep physical path, we must walk again and again. And to make a deep mental path, we must think over and over the kinds of thoughts we wish to dominate our lives. What you habitually think will form who you are. And so I want to talk about a discipline, something that I want to try and equip you with today, that if you will learn to think this way, will create some beauty in your life, and God will help you get set free. So it's what I call a vital spiritual discipline. In 1 Chronicles 16, David, uh, Solomon has built a temple, and David brings all the musicians together, and he, assigns a, uh, he writes a psalm for the occasion. And this is what it says, that day David first appointed Asaph and his associates to give praise to the Lord in this manner. In other words, this was a didactic psalm. It, it was a psalm that wasn't just to be sung, but it was a psalm that taught people how to praise God. You getting it? That psalm was an amalgam of a number of different psalms that David had written. And he pulled from about 16 different psalms and he put them all together and he said, this is how you're supposed to praise in part of that psalm, it says this, Ascribe to the Lord families of the nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now that was taken from Psalm 29 and Psalm 96, where David said that, Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. David said, you need to learn the spiritual discipline of ascribing to God glory and strength and beauty and majesty. Because there are coming times in your life when it's going to feel like God is ignoring you. And it's going to feel like God hates you. And it's going to feel like he's left you alone. And in those moments of pressure, we need to learn to ascribe what we know to be true, not what our feelings are telling us. Because God will make you a promise, and then there'll be a little moment before you see the fulfillment. And in the gap is where people come up with weird theology. God hates me. It's because of the sin in my life. It's because I was exposed to my great uncle's card trick. Whatever it is, you know. We make up stuff in the gaps. In the pause between where we see the fruit and where we heard the promise. So God will come to you in your, in your moment and he'll speak a promise to you. And you go, praise God, how cool is that? And you walk out and you hit pressure. Promise, then pressure. And you go, what happened? Did God change his mind? And you make up gap theories, we call them. And the gap theories are usually nonsense. So in the gap, we have to learn to ascribe greatness. All right, we're going to get there. Let me do a little background. God made a covenant oath to Abraham because Abraham said, 
I brought you up out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, how can I know? So God made a covenant with him. Cut animals, he walked in the blood, and he swore an oath. He lifted up his hand, and, and the Bible says since there was no one greater to swear by, God was going, because Abraham said, now, I've got to be sure. And God said, I swear by myself, because he was the greatest thing that existed. I, I swear by myself. And, and Hebrews says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, he cut a covenant and he swore an oath. We who have fled to take hold of the hope may be greatly encouraged. Sorry, it's not in the notes. I'm just quoting from Hebrews 6. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. It goes behind the curtain where Jesus, our forerunner, entered on our behalf. God said, I swear it to you. And he told Abraham, listen, your descendants are going to go into captivity for about 400 years. Why? Because the sin of the Amorites hasn't yet reached its full measure. So I'm going to deal with the Amorites. And when I do deal with the Amorites, it's going to be because they've sinned to the max. But it's not there yet. So I'm going to just park you off in Egypt. You're going to be slaves for a while. When I bring you out of Egypt, I'm going to bring you out with all the wealth of Egypt. So don't worry. When, when Israel left Egypt, they plundered Egypt. You know that, right? They were all millionaires when they left Egypt. Because God said, no, no. Bring my stuff out. That, he told all of that to Abraham. 400 years later, God shows up to Moses and he says, Listen, Moses, I promised to bring Israel up out of Egypt. And the time is now. That's in Exodus 3. Now, God was very, very particular about this reality. He said, I swore it to you. So let me just read Exodus. I'm just taking you from one book, Numbers. Exodus, the land he swore. Exodus 32, the land I promised. Numbers 14, the land I swore with uplifted hand. Deuteronomy 1, the land I swore to your forefathers. Deuteronomy 6, he swore. Deuteronomy 7, I swore. Deuteronomy 10, I swore. Deuteronomy 11, the land the Lord swore. Deuteronomy 26, the land the Lord swore. Deuteronomy 28, the land I swore. The land he swore. The land he swore. God said, listen, every time he spoke to Israel, he said, remember I swore it. Remember, don't forget, I swore I'm going to take you in. God was pedantic about it. I swore by myself, I promise, I will take you into the promised land. And they said, amen, amen. But here's a principle. If you have the heart of a free person, but the mind of a slave, you will not live as an overcomer. And it will keep you from God's promises. Because when God brings Israel out, they've had 400 years of slavery. They're thinking like slaves. And God says, I'm taking you in. And a slave says, I don't know what's good. I can't see it now, but there's a, somebody's going to hit me with a lash soon. So let me take you through Israel's journey of unbelief. Because Israel, because they had a mind of a slave, every time they hit pressure, every time they faced an adversity, they ascribed meanness to God. What Israel said is, God wants to kill us here. Yeah. That's what they said. They went to the Red Sea. God's bringing them out of Egypt. They've just, dis they've just plundered Egypt for all its wealth. And they get to the Red Sea and they can't go. And there's a mountain on this side. There's a desert on that side. The Red Sea here and the, Israel, the Egyptians are coming behind them to kill them. And they go, God brought us here because there wasn't enough grave space in Egypt. Because he wants to kill us. So he brought us here. That's why. That's what he said, Exodus 14. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into this desert to die? 
But God's intention was to destroy the greatest military might of that time to completely emancipate his people. That's why he brought them there. He didn't bring them there to make it uncomfortable for Israel. He brought them to the Red Sea because he wanted to destroy Egypt. Are you tracking? But he swore. He goes, my people will understand because I've sworn it to them. They know I've swore. And they, they hit the first adversity. They go, God wants to kill us. Ascribed evil to God. They went on a few days. Of course, the Lord delivers them. They go, oh, how good is God? And they walked three days into the desert and they hit bitter waters and they're running out of water. And they go, what have we to drink? God's going to kill us here. And God makes the bitter water sweet. And they go another day and they run out of food. And they said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we went through the 10 plagues. That was good. And then, okay, okay, God brought us through the Red Sea. Okay, he, made, he gave us water. But we understand now. God did all of that so we could starve here. We understand. We get in the pick. We understand now. Okay, we've got it. So he gives them manna. Then they walk on a few days and there's no more water. And they go, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Okay, God fed us there. But now we're going to die of thirst. Can't fool me. I understand. I'm tracking. I know what's happening now. We're going to die here. So God brings them around and he brings them back to Rephidim. Because surely, God says, now I'm going to bring them over the same mountain. I'm going to bring them down the same path. They're going to see the same place. And they're going to remember last time God supernaturally provided. So he brings them back. And this time they say... What's God going to do? No, they say, we and our animals are going to die here. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in this desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we hate the stinking food. Basically. He takes them to Horeb, and he sends out the spies. And the spies come back and say, yeah, there's good fruit, but man, there's giants there, and they're going to destroy us. God said, I swore I'm going to take you into this land. There's the land right there. Let's go in. And they go, this is where they go. It's because the Lord hates us that he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Ananites to destroy us. God, God brought us all this way because now he wants to kill us with these giants. We are, we're tracking. Numbers 14, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? You're going to have a promise, and as sure as God made little green apples, you are going to hit pressure. Something is going to happen in your life and it's going to seem counter to the promise of God. And when that happens, not if that happens, when that happens, what you do as a spiritual practice is either ascribe greatness to God or ascribe meanness to God. They ascribed evil to God. Every time they hit pressure, they go, God wants to kill us. Their persistent unbelief and ascribing of evil intent to God tested him and fashioned a horrible reality. Because this is what God said. 
Numbers 14, God said, As surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in this wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me these ten times, not one of them will ever see the land that I promised on oath to their ancestors. God changed his oath. God said, okay, okay, you don't want to listen to that oath. Listen to this one. None of you are going to get in. I swear. Listen to this oath. You're going to die just like you said. I will do the very thing I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Everyone 20 years older or more who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. It's important for us to learn the spiritual principle of ascribing greatness. So I want to take you to some of the Psalms because David was the one who started this process. And David said, when he handed the Psalm over to Solomon and the musicians, he said, this is the way, this is the manner, this is the spiritual discipline I want you to build in to your Psalms. And so I want to look at some of those. And let me recommend a three-step process to you that this is pretty much how David wrote most of his Psalms. There is a piece in the Psalms, not necessarily in this order, but you can find all of these three aspects in pretty much all the Psalms. David takes a moment to describe what is going on in his life. Lord, they hate me. They're plotting to kill me. I have no friends. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. He's describing what's going on in his life. And then David does a remarkable thing. He pivots from his description and he says, but you. And then he just ascribes greatness to God. You're a stunning God. You're a sealed. You're a superstar. You hold me up. You never let me down. You never forget. You never take your eyes off me. You always answer my prayers. He ascribes greatness. Can I just say, the church gets us so messed up because some churches say, don't describe anything. You're not allowed to say anything negative. But David wrote the Psalms and they sang his Psalms in front of the ark. That was the worship. One of the Psalms is, uh, he says, break their teeth in their mouth, O God. It's to the tune of do not destroy. I love that. To the tune of do not destroy. Like a slug that melts away, kill him, Lord, and may his children not see the sun. So some people say, don't, don't describe anything negative. And some, ch some churches I go to, that's all they can do. They just want to tell you, oh, how hard and tough and dark and heavy. And that's okay. That's one third of it. But if you don't learn how to ascribe greatness in the middle of the dark and heavy, you'll never get out of the dark and heavy. So you have to learn to pivot. You have to learn and you say, but I don't feel that. It's got nothing to do with feeling. You have to pivot and ascribe greatness to God in the middle of the worst time. And then David starts to prescribe. Lord, this is what I want. Could you heal me? Would you hear me? Would you push the enemy back? Would you provide for me? Would you open up doors in front of me? Would you send help from heaven? It's a simple, simple formula. Describe, ascribe, prescribe. So I want to take you through two psalms and uh, show you how this works and then, we, and then we're through. Uh, I would dare you, I dare you to go home and write a psalm like this in your current circumstances. We're not going to put it in the scriptures, but 
but I'm pretty sure it'll bless you. Pretty sure you'll be blessed by it. So let's look at it. Describe. You write the facts that you're facing, the current circumstances. You can write about you, this, your fears, your failures, your frustration, your friends. You write about them. It describes their actions, their words, their plans. Some of them want to hurt you. Sometimes it's even the Lord. Psalm 22, David said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? That Jesus, you know, famous messianic psalm, David wrote that. Because he said, I'm praying here and you're not answering. And he wrote it down. And some priest had to look holy while he sang it in front of the ark. A scribe, give God the glory that's due to his name. Make his praise glorious. Exaggerate. Try to exaggerate his goodness and his greatness. You cannot do it, by the way. Because his goodness and his greatness are beyond your imagination. But if you start to exaggerate his goodness and grace, you're on the right path. Talk about his nature. Declare who he is. Focus on his attributes, what you know to be true, what the scriptures declare. Talk about his works. Remember what he's done for you and for those you know and for testimonies you've read about. See, I was with, uh, I was with a friend, Leif Hetland. We were in Pakistan. We, we met with five of the senior Muslim clerics in Pakistan. Every single one of them got instantly healed. I have a video of one of the senior Muslim clerics. And he, he's so freaked out in, because he goes, I can't believe I just got healed. He's just, he's like, it happened so quickly. I showed that to Michelle's uncle was, was with us. And I was just so excited. I showed him the video. And he got healed watching the video. You, you fill your mind with testimony, it'll change your life. Remember his words. And then uh, make his praise glorious and then prescribe. This is a mixture of petition and prayer and memories of previous encounters and storytelling and history lessons and declarations and testimonies. Write out your desires. What do you want? Those who, op who oppose you, pray for them. Speak over them blessings you can pronounce. Talk about his fame. Lord, I want to bring you glory. I want my life to count. So let's just look at this in two Psalms, and then we're through. Psalm 31. Let's go there. This is describe. This is the circumstances. This is David. Be merciful to me, Lord. I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my body and my soul with grief. My life is consumed by anguish, my years by groaning, my strength fails because of my affliction. My bones grow weak because of all my enemies, and I am the utter contempt of my neighbors. I'm an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I was dead. I've become like broken pottery. I hear many whispering terror on every side, and they conspire against me and plot to take my life. You think you're in a bad place. <laughs> David wrote that. Because that was what he's experiencing. Now listen, same psalm. Watch him pivot and ascribe greatness. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. They want to kill me, but my times are in your hands. Amen. I love this. Ha! 
how abundant are the good things that you store up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in. David said, okay, okay, I understand what's going on. You haven't been answering my prayers because you're busy storing up goodness for me and you're waiting till everybody's watching me and then when everybody's watching me, you're going to dump it all on me. That's what he said. Can't fool me. I know what's going on. I don't think the Lord told him that. I think that's what he ascribed. Can't fool me. I know what's going on. That's what you're doing. You're storing up goodness. You're going to dump it on me. You see, if David had just stayed in the described place and he didn't ascribe, he doesn't come out of the hole. He doesn't come out of the darkness. You'll pick yourself right out of the dungeon if you begin to ascribe greatness to God. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigue. You keep me safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Prescribe. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Lead and guide me. Amazing, eh? Keep me free from the trap that's set for me. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, my faithful God. Let's go to Psalm 3. We're closing with this. Describe. Lord, look at how many foes I have. How many rise up against me? Many people are saying about me, God is not going to deliver him. Ascribe. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're all around me. You're the glorious one who lifts up my head. I call and you always answer. So I'm going to go to sleep and I'll wake again because the Lord is the one who sustains me. I'll not fear, even though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Prescribe. Arise, Lord. Deliver me. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be upon your people. Let me close with this. If you will learn the spiritual discipline of ascribing greatness to God, I'm hoping that every single person in the room, next time you feel pressure, next time you're under the gun, next time it's hard or it's tough or you're feeling down, that that's a trigger for you. I hope something in your spirit pricks you and says, ascribe greatness now. Now's your moment to say, God, you are great and beyond belief. I bless your name because you always hear me. I will not fear because you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And even though 10,000 surround me, you are with me and they're in trouble. Some of us need to learn this. I'm telling you a truth. If you wrote a psalm like this every day for the next two weeks, it would do you a world of good. Some of you need, because if you just do this once, you're not going to create a pathway in your mind. But if you'll learn, if you'll train your spirit to do this again and again and again, you'll begin to discover that it becomes second nature to you. And every time you hit pressure, you go, oh, I can't wait to see how God's going to slap this now. Because two of the spies went in and said, Those giants are so big, I can't wait to sleep in the bed. (laughs) So Caleb said, give me the hill country. It's mine. The Lord promised me. None of you stand back. It's mine. Bring in the giants. He said, give me the giants. It's mine. A 
ascribe greatness to God and stop ascribing evil. Let me pray. Lord, would you teach us? Would you teach us in our private capacity all over this room, Lord? Would you explode a revelation in the hearts of people? And I'm asking, Lord, that you'd equip us today, that something of this weight would settle and that, Lord, across this room, we begin to ascribe greatness. We begin to look for glory. We begin to make your praise glorious. And Lord, even though we don't see it yet, we know it to be true. And so we'll begin to declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Just let me say this. Thank you. God, the Bible says, is the God who calls the things that are not as though they are. That means if you look at it with a naked eye, it doesn't exist. But if you look at it with the eyes of faith, you go, praise God. Because he sees and he goes, I've given you victory. And you look and there's no victory if you look in the natural. But if you'll start to learn to ascribe greatness, you go, thank you, Lord, for the victory. And the victory will manifest. Because you, you stepped in not by effort, but by faith. And that's what God's looking for. Thank you so much. Good to be here.